it's very rare that we have our kids from Super Church up here, and we have them up here um, this uh, today, uh, Christmas Eve service. And so what I wanted to do is I gave part of my time to Will, and I asked Will if he would bring a lesson for the kids, and it's for the adult kids also. So you can pay attention and learn also, all right, um, if you're above 35, all right. And so I want to ask Will to go ahead and come on up here. Will is one of our teachers down in Super Church, and you all just need to do whatever he tells you to do. We trust Will. That could be a scary thing, especially when you're a children's minister and you love being able to share the gospel. Strange things can happen during a lesson. All right, kiddos, little boys and girls, come on out up here. Take a seat right up here. Don't be afraid. Come on up here. It's just like children's church. I see Brian coming up here, being bold. Ken's got you up here, sister. Take a seat right here on the floor. Look at these wonderful kids. Aren't these a blessing to have in our church? All right, scoot up here. There we go. There we go. So, Merry Christmas. Isn't it wonderful to be on our, with our church family today on this wonderful Christmas Eve? This is just beautiful, all right? So, you guys listening? You know what? I hear Pastor Jerry has some candy canes for you at the end of this service. Key point at the end. We'll save the sugar for mom and dad at the end, okay? <laughs> all right, is there up here? Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 1, verse 12. That's John chapter 1. Verse 12, Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12. So, little guys, I need your help teaching this lesson. Do you guys want to help me? All right. So, look at this present I brought here. We're going to use this as a little object here, okay? So, imagine with me on Christmas morning, you you gave someone a present, and it's underneath their tree, And all the presents are being passed out. And you're like, oh, they're going to take my present. They're going to get my present. But watch this. All the other presents get passed out, except for your present that you gave. It stays underneath the tree, and no one even touches it. What's even stranger is all of a sudden, the gift giving's done, and all the decorations are taken down, the tree's taken down, but that gift is still sitting there. What would you say? How would you feel? Would you go up to that person? Would you go, did you get my gift? And they go, oh, yeah. It's somewhere around. Oh, oh, there it is. It's over there. They'd kind of make you feel a little, maybe even sad or strange, right? They didn't touch your gift. Well, watch this. John chapter 1, verse 12 says this. It says, but as many as received him, that is Jesus Christ, as many as received him, To them gave he the right to become the sons, that is, the children of God, even them to them that believe on his name. Little guys, what gift did God give us? Who was that? Jude. He gave us life. Who did he give us? He gave us a family. What's the greatest gift that God gave us? Brian? He gave us the Holy Spirit. Yes, Jude? Yes, He gave His only Son, Jesus Christ. We learned about that last week. Wasn't it a blessing last week when we all recited John 3.16 together? For God so loved, He gave His only Son. And here's the gift 
that God gave. He gave his salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. But yet, sometimes that gift remains unopened. So watch this. How do we open up that gift? Do we say, oh, I'm going to be baptized, and that, that makes us a Christian? Does that make us a Christian? No. Going to church, does that make us a Christian? No. The only thing that can make us a Christian that opens this gift that says, from God to us, is faith. So faith is what opens up this gift. But I got a question for you. Have you opened up this gift? Now, some of us may be sitting in this crowd saying, that's a good lesson for them kids. Sir, ma'am, I say this right now. Young man, young lady, have you opened up this gift? Do you sit in those pews and go, I hope those kids open up that gift? Have you opened it by faith? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? If not, today is the day. It says in Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, now is the appointed time. Today is the day of salvation. It's only by faith. Do you trust God? Do we dare celebrate Christmas without Christ? No. So today, even before you leave this service, find a deacon, find Pastor Jerry, find myself, find someone here, and share your need for Christ. Don't leave this building without him. Don't celebrate another Christmas without him. Now, believer, you may be sitting there saying, and some of these kiddos may be believers as well. You're saying, I'm already saved. I've already opened up that present wheel, and that tag changes. It says, from God to your neighbor, to your coworker, to your classmate, to your wife, to your husband, to your children. Do you take this gift that God has given? And he says, share it with people. And do you keep it? Do we keep it behind our back or do we give it to other people? Yes, we show it. These kiddos got it. I tell you what, they're smart. So what will you do with the gift that Jesus Christ has given us today? Will you receive it? All right. Thank you, guys. You guys can go on back now. Take a Bible, if you will, and there's one in the pew in front of you if you don't have one with you or use your phone, whatever it is that you do these days. I want you to open it to Matthew chapter 1. I'm really glad you're here this morning um, that we could celebrate Christmas together. Uh, in this way. Um, Let's get started. People today search out their ancestry. You can do it pretty easily. Uh, You can go online, find a website, do it that way, and kind of find out where you come from, what people groups you belong to, that sort of thing. Um, There's a movement even, I think it's government-motivated, Um, to get DNA samples of children. Uh, Frankly, uh, I don't trust them. Um, Mom and dad need that information. Our government doesn't need that information, Uh, but that's possible as well. And the idea is in the name of safety. In case your children were ever taken, they can find out that they're yours. Well, we'll leave that with them. For the Jews, it has been a thing for a long time, knowing about their ancestry. Um, When they came back to be in a nation in 1947. In 1950, there was what was referred to as the law of return to immigrate to Israel. 
You had to prove that you were a Jew. You had to uh, have Jewish DNA. And there were ways of testing that and finding that out. Matthew chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. It might be the least read, thoroughly read passage of the New Testament because of the lengthy genealogy. But I want us to read that this morning because it gives us some vital information about Jesus' roots, where he came from. And so if you'll bear with me, let's read through these 17 verses and find out where our Lord came from, and then we've got some comments. We're going to discover a problem. We're going to see a solution to the problem and recognize that Joseph is just as critical as a father to Jesus as Mary is the mother to Jesus. All right? We're in Matthew chapter 1, and it says this in verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So in these verses, Matthew highlights three people, uh, the Lord, and also three events, um, David, excuse me, Abraham, and then David, and then the deportation to Babylon. Verse 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. Well, so far those names weren't too tough. They get tougher. And I have no idea if I'm pronouncing them right, but we're just going to pretend that with a little bit of a Portuguese twist, it sounds right. All right. (laughs) David, last half of verse 6, was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon, when Babylon came in and took them in exile. After, verse 12, the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of, and here's where it gets tough, Jeconiah was the father of Sheachiel, Sheachiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abud, and Abud the father of Elakim, Elakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Asham, Asham, the father of Eliud, Eliud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Matthew divides Israel's history from Abraham forward into three sections. He, he divides it into the section from Abraham to David, and he lists that genealogy, verses 2 through the first half of 6. And then he divides it from David to the deportation of Babylon, which is the second half of verse 6 down to verse 11. And then the deportation of Babylon to Christ, which would be uh, verse 12 through verse 16. 
selective names within this focus to represent three segments of Jewish history. And what I mean by selective names is there are some generations that are left out, and yet he claims 14 generations. I'm going to give us an example of that so that we'll understand that. But in this division, in these lists, we find some really messy people that God used. And that should be a little bit of a backdoor encouragement to us because when I look in the mirror, sometimes I'm kind of messy. And I don't know all of you that well, but if I did, I'm guessing that if I were able to look into your heart and your mind and your life, that you can be messy also. And that's the goodness of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are some moral outcasts here. There are different ethnicities, not just Jewish. Actually, if we could look closely at each name, they would all have some untidiness in their life. And we all have untidiness in our life. God used and uses messy people to accomplish his purpose. And that should encourage us. Now, that doesn't mean that we should stay messy um, by the grace of God. He doesn't, grace doesn't mean stay where you're at, continue making the same mess. Grace is going to grow us in the Lord as well. Let me give you some examples of this list. We're not going to, let me just mention first Jeconiah, and that's verse 11 and verse 12. We're going to look into him uh, a little bit later on. This guy was a real rascal. Um, he was bad news. But Jeconiah isn't the only one. Bathsheba is mentioned here without her name being used. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, And Jesse, the father of David, the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And we know that that was Bathsheba. And David and Bathsheba had an adulterous relationship. That baby died. Solomon would be the second son there. So Bathsheba... And David were pretty untidy also. There's also Ruth. Someone, you say, well, what's, what, what, everything good is spoken about Ruth. Well, kind of, unless you look back into the history. Someone from a different ethnicity. She was a Moabitess. She was from Moab. Do you remember? Let me look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, Solomon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Boaz, <clears throat> the father of Obed, by Ruth. Do you remember how the Moabites began as a nation? Lot had left Sodom and Gomorrah by the grace of God. His wife had been turned into a pillar of salt. They found themselves in a small city. Then they found themselves in a cave in the hills. And he was going to die and not have any sons to carry on his name. So when he was drunk one night, his oldest daughter said to the youngest daughter, let's go into our father, let him impregnate us, and that way his name will be carried on. That's where the Moabites came from. So Ruth, while she might have been a person of integrity from everything that we see, the history of her ancestry wasn't all that great. There was Rahab, whose profession was a harlot before the grace of God. Verse 3, verse 3 says this, And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Do you remember that story? Um, that was a story that was filled with shame. Uh, Tamar had a husband who died. It was her father-in-law's responsibility to provide another son for her husband, which he didn't do. So she disguised herself, dressed up as a prostitute. Um, Judah took her. They had a baby. And so there's some messy people in this list, really messy people. 
and yet God was able to use them for the purpose of the redemption story. And your life might be messy, and that doesn't mean that we stay there, but we recognize the goodness of God, the good news of the gospel, and that he's able to use me as well. This list isn't exhaustive. I'll give an example. Let me give just one example to show that. But for whatever reason God gave to Matthew, he wanted 14 generations. The example that I'm going to give is from verse 11. Verse 11 says this, And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon... We know that, and let me just say this. If you're a note taker, there's going to be a lot of information here. I can send you the notes if you like that. Um, You can take notes if you want to, uh, but there's going to be a lot of scriptures that we won't be able to open up, but I want to open up some of them. Jehoiakim, Jeconiah's father, is left uh, left out in verse 11, and we know that from 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 28, through chapter 24, verse 7. And there we would find, if we read it together, that Josiah died. Josiah was a godly king. Josiah died. The people made another person, Jehoaz, king of a king. But the Pharaoh that was in charge over Israel at that time, Pharaoh Necho, Necho, didn't like him. So he was only king for three months. He took another person whose name was a Helakim, Elakim, uh, king. And he made him king and changed his name to Jehoiakim. And there's a lot of names in there, so you have to kind of trace them and be very careful. But that wasn't uncommon if you remember the story of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Whenever they were taken into Babylon, the king strips away their native language, their native person, even their name, and gives them another name. And so that wasn't uncommon. So Jehoiakim uh, isn't there. At his death, Jehoiachin, or Jeconiah, was made king. And so we go in verse 11 from Josiah to Jeconiah without his father being listed there. For whatever reason God chose to do that, he did that. But the, pur- but the purpose of Matthew is correct in the, in the factual material for his purpose. And his purpose is to, do- to document the ancestry of Jesus Christ the Messiah and Abraham. Let me read a quote from somebody. The purpose of a genealogy is to document the proof of ancestry from the origin of the line to the person under discussion. The person under discussion is Jesus Christ, born in a manger. Every individual need not be included, but only those necessary to establish descending relationships. The author may legitimately abridge to genealogy, a genealogy to establish a point to make it simpler. And that appears to be what he did in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. All right? But he divides Israel's history into three sections, and I want to talk about those three sections. The first section involves Abraham to David, and I want to take us back to Genesis 12 where God spoke to Abraham. We've read it even somewhat recently. God spoke to Abraham, and he gave him what's considered an unconditional promise. He made a covenant with him. It didn't depend on Abraham. It didn't depend on what Abraham was going to do. It depended upon God, the one who was giving it. It was without conditions. It was unconditional. Chapter 12 of Genesis says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. And he did. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
That's where Matthew begins to trace Jesus' genealogy back all the way to Abraham. He begins with Abraham. He writes to the Jew, takes his reader back to their roots. If we were to read the list from Abraham to David again and dive into some of the details of some of the lives, there are some really unique people, people that you and I might not choose to use, but people who God chose to use that find their names in scripture as well. That encourages me because that means that he's got the power and the ability and the grace and the kindness to use me as well. And that's what he did. The first section is from Abraham to David. There were 14 generations that Matthew mentioned. The second section includes David to the deportation to Babylon. Israel was so disobedient and God got so tired of putting up with it that he said, if you continue in this, and we're going to read it, then I'm going to allow other peoples to come in and completely take you over. And that's what happened. The second section includes David to the deportation of Babylon. Again, God speaks to David. This is unconditional. There are conditional promises. There are unconditional promises. He spoke a conditional one to Solomon, David's son. This one is unconditional. It didn't depend on David. It didn't depend on whether he had an adulterous child with Bathsheba or not. Should he have done that? Of course not. It's adultery. It's, it's against the law, the law of Moses. But this, this promise, this, this covenant didn't depend upon his, upon his fulfilling his part. It depended upon God doing his part. And God did. Second Samuel, if you want to look at it, chapter 7, verse 9. Second Samuel, chapter 7, verse 9. God speaking to David. I will make your name great like the name of the great ones on the earth. I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house when your days are fulfilled And you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body. Another translation says your seed, so it was specifically the son of David. He will come from your body, your seed, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom. How long? Forever. I will be to him a father, he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, and Solomon did, I will discipline him with a rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. First it was Saul, then it was David, then it was Solomon as king of Israel. And your house, verse 16, and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And that child, David's offspring, would be a very specific child. It would be Solomon. David had other sons, other daughters, but this is speaking of Solomon. And that information is important because we see that Mary is from David's line, but she's not through Solomon. Mary is from David's line, but she's through one of his sons named Nathan, which didn't give Mary throne rights to the kingdom. We know it's Solomon because of several scripture. God continued to bless, uh, God's continued blessing on Solomon's life was conditional, not unconditional, but the Davidic throne that God had promised to David was unconditional. Solomon would build the house of the Lord, 
God gave Solomon specific words also. I could cite those and give those to you if you'd like them. Other prophets mention Solomon as the heir by name. And let me just read the references, and you can jot them down if you want. We find it in 1 Chronicles chapter 17, chapter 28, chapter 29, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, 1 Kings chapter 2. And so it was Solomon that God would say to David, David, from your seed I'm going to bless your son, and that kingdom shall stand forever. All right, I'm making a point of this that it's not with Mary because we're going to see in Luke chapter 3, which gives us Mary's genealogy, it traces her ancestry back to David. She had the bloodline, but through his son by the name of Nathan, a different son of David. Mary didn't provide access to the throne of David. It was to be provided through, through Solomon, David's son. But we're going to run into a problem. The third section includes the deportation to Babylon, Israel's exile, to the Christ. This was an incredibly low time in Israel's history, all right? And it had been low before, but it was an incredibly low time morally, spiritually. And while it's gotten better, it still isn't great. They're a nation today. They're together, but their eyes still aren't opened as a nation to the Messiah. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We see them in the midst of a, of a war right now, and that hasn't ended, and it won't end until our Lord comes back. While it's gotten better, it still isn't great, and it all revolves around disobedience to God. So disobedience is a big deal. Boys and girls, boys and girls that are 70 and older, and all of us in between, disobedience is a big deal doesn't matter how much we justify it. doesn't matter how much we rationalize it. doesn't matter how much we compare ourselves to other people. When we read something in God's word and it's disobedience, it comes with a heavy word from the Lord. A general word to Israel as a nation. Let me just read this. This is from Deuteronomy, if you'd like to read it with me. Deuteronomy 58. This is a general word to Israel as a nation back in their beginning. If you're not careful, the Moses time, if you're not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions, afflictions severe and lasting, and sickness grievous and lasting. He will bring upon you again all the diseases of Egypt, again, which means they had them before, all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. Every sickness also, every affliction that's not recorded in the book of this law, the Lord will bring upon you until you are destroyed. That's a strong word for disobedience. Whereas you were as numerous as the stars of heaven, you shall be left few in number because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And as the Lord took delight in doing you good and multiplying you, that's his delight. As the Lord took delight in doing good and multiplying you, so the Lord will take delight in bringing ruin upon you and destroying you. And you shall be plucked off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. What a strong word to Israel. Israel, it's my delight to please you, to bless you, to grace you, to give mercy to you. But if you don't obey me, it's going to cost you heavily. And who are we to think that just because God is grace-filled, and he is, that disobedience is a small thing? Disobedience is a huge thing. So don't just get stuck in your traditions, but let the word of God continue to grow you. God, in his perfect love, does judge unrighteousness. It's part of his perfect love. He did so with Israel. 
He judged sin on the cross with his son, which we celebrate this season for, Jesus. He tells us of a future judgment also. Paul was speaking, and this is what he said. God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Among all of the things that the resurrection teaches you, do you know what it teaches us also? That there's a day of judgment that's coming. And Jesus was raised from the dead. It was seen by more than 500 people at the time that Paul wrote Corinthians. He was seen by more than 500 people by the time Paul wrote Corinthians. It guarantees us that there's a future day of judgment as, as well. Disobedience is a huge thing. God has preserved his royal line. I'm quoting Alistair Begg, actually. God has preserved his royal line, but it wasn't because of his people's righteousness. It was in spite of their unrighteousness. Begg says God doesn't fulfill his promises through his people because of their righteousness, but fulfills his promises through his people in spite of their sinfulness. And my, my, I'm concerned that some of us come to church and we come in with this mentality of, you know, I just got to be the very best me that I can be. I actually listened to that this week. Um, you don't need to be the very best you that you can be. You need to be you in Jesus Christ. It isn't because of your own righteousness that God is pleased with you. It's because of the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin and unrighteousness. And God still is going to fulfill his word. Ours is a task of discerning what that might be. That's grace, and we need it. And grace won't leave you where you are. Grace grows you spiritually as well. I want to speak, that was a general word to Israel. I want to see, uh, speak a specific word about Jeconiah. Jeconiah we found in this list, and he was in verse 11, where it says, And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation, and after that deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of, and then he continues on. This is a big deal. I want to speak a specific word about Jeconiah, because he was a king in line with the Davidic throne. It started with God speaking to David, and then it went to Solomon, and then it goes generation after generation, and Jeconiah is where we find ourselves in verse 11 and verse 12. Jeconiah is part of the reason that Judah went into captivity in Babylon. He's not the only reason, but he's part of the reason that God sent another nation in to take all of his people out to take away their nationality, to take away their names, so that they would be, as it were, from Babylon. It's not all his fault. This fault doesn't lie with just this one man. If you want some interesting historical reading, 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 28 and following, 2 Chronicles chapter 36 that gives you this story as well. Jeconiah's father, that Elakim, which name we don't find in this genealogy, was an evil king before Jeconiah. Jeconiah also was declared evil by God. That is not a good word to hear from God. You are evil. That's a bad deal. Uh, his father also was evil. His grandfather, Josiah, was a righteous king that feared God. Manasseh, before all of them, was evil and cursed as well. And so the days were very, very dark spiritually, but, but the lot fell with Jehoiachin for, for that to be the time when, when Nebuchadnezzar would come in and take them away. The tragedy, I'm quoting, that befell Jeconiah, who, excuse me, Jeconiah is his name. He's also called Coniah, and Babylon gave him another name, which is Jehoiachin. 
And so all three of those names are the same individual. The tragedy that fell, that befell Jehoiachin or Jeconiah was predicted by the prophet Jeremiah. God said that Jehoiachin would be removed from the throne. That would be Jeremiah chapter 22. We're not going to read it. And be taken to Babylon where he would die. He was removed from his throne. He and his mother and his wife and their family and many, many others were taken and he would die there. But the curse upon Jehoiachin went deeper than just his removal and exile. Jeremiah 22 verse 30 says this. This is what the Lord says. Record this man as if childless, a man who will not prosper in his lifetime, for none of his offspring will prosper. None will sit on the throne of David and rule anymore in Judah. So we go back to Matthew 1, and what Matthew did to show the Jews where Jesus came from is he went from Abraham to David, and from David to the deportation, and from the deportation to, 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 the, to Jesus Christ. And what happens is Jehoiachin, or this Jeconiah, breaks that line. Now God's word, 2 Samuel chapter 7 that we read to David, is I will establish your throne forever. You're going to have a throne forever. And Jehoiachin was evil enough, and the days were evil enough even before him that God said, I'm done with that. I'm going to cut you off, and no one of your descendants will ever sit on David's throne. So how can God be true to his word to David if now he has cut off that throne from the only one that could pass that on? So we have a problem. It's a God-sized problem. We don't have to theologize our way through it. We don't have to manipulate our way through Scripture through it. God's got to be the only one that takes care of it. But he said to David, David, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to have your throne established forever. And then he says to Jehoiakim or Jeconiah in that line, you will never have anybody that sits on this throne, ever. None of your descendants, as if you were childless. God gave a word of warning, which was not heeded in Jeremiah chapter 22. And this is what he said. If you will not hear these words, I swear by myself, says the Lord, because there was no one higher to swear by, that this house shall become a desolation. And that's what they became, a desolation. And in 1947, God did something incredible as well and brought Jews back together, but it's still problematic. But they were a desolation, a byword among the peoples. This is what he said. Verse 28, chapter 22 of Jeremiah. Is this man Coniah or Jeconiah or Jehoiachin? Is this man Coniah a despised, broken idol, a vessel in which is no pleasure? Why are they cast out, he and his descendants, and cast into a land where they do not know? O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless, a man who shall not prosper in his days. None of his descendants shall prosper sitting on the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. So we have a crisis. God gave, God gave David an unconditional promise, and now he's put a curse on this Jehoiachin, Jeconiah, and there isn't anybody from his descendants that can rule on David's throne. The line of kings of David's family ended with Jehoiachin. Say, yeah, but Mary, Mary's in there. Mary wasn't from David and Solomon and that line. Mary was from David and Nathan and that line. So Mary had blood rights to David, but she didn't have throne rights to that that God had promised through David. The line of the kings from David's family ended A problem because the Messiah needs throne rights. For Jesus to have the right to the throne of David, which he has, 
has to be a God-solved problem. Because God told David in 2 Samuel 12, he'll establish the throne of your kingdom forever. Mary didn't give that. With this curse, no one would have throne rights to David's throne through Solomon. Nobody. No hope. No possibility. Except through a virgin birth, impregnated by the Holy Spirit, and a husband who was among Solomon's descendants. And that's exactly who and what we have. We have a virgin who was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And if Joseph would have impregnated her, it would have been his seed and he would have been just as cursed as Jeconiah. But Joseph didn't do that. He was a husband who was among Solomon's descendants, Joseph being the one. Mary's husband was in that line. Joseph Joseph provided throne rights. Mary provided the bloodline ultimately through Nathan to David. Joseph provided the throne rights ultimately through Solomon, the son of David. The Holy Spirit, God himself, made it possible because Jesus wasn't Joseph's seed. If he had been Joseph's seed, then he would have been linked to Jehoiakim and underneath that that curse as well. This genealogy, along with the rest of the Christmas story, enables God to keep his word as he always does. It creates a crisis that is only God answerable, but God did answer it through a miracle of virgin birth with the father being Joseph. Had to be. Had to be someone that was in Solomon's line as well, and that's exactly what God did. As well as his other declarations, he's not, they're not always favorable, but he's always good to his word. All of them that he's made throughout all of mankind. And do you know what that tells us? That tells us that if the resurrection proved that one day there's going to be a judgment, you know what there's going to be one day? There's going to be a judgment. Mark it down, take it to the bank, doesn't matter how many people agree with you. Doesn't matter whether Washington proclaims it or whether it's popular among the nations or United Nations or whatever. There's going to be a judgment. It makes Revelation 19 possible. Listen to this. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse, the one sitting on it called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linens, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. There are nations that will be struck down. He will rule them with a rod of iron." Excuse me, he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty, on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The Davidic throne, Jesus able to sit there because of a virgin birth and because Joseph was the selected father that was in line with David and Solomon and the blessed line. God is fulfilling his word to Abraham in chapter 12. God is fulfilling his word to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Your house, your kingdom shall be made for sure, uh, shall, uh, sure forever before me. Your throne um, has, has been established forever. God is able to do that because God is able to do the impossible. And we find that in the Christmas story. With God, nothing is impossible. Even when we run up or run against something that seems to be absolutely out of control, no way to solve it, God has the ability to do that. So let me finish with this. 
In this genealogy from Matthew chapter 1, we find people like Jeconiah, who was a real rascal, but he wasn't the only one of his day. And we find Bathsheba mentioned and the adulterous relationship that, without her name being written and the adulterous relationship that she had with David, which produced not Solomon that time, but Solomon was the second son. We find Ruth, who was a Moabitess, began, the nation began with an incestual relationship. That's their histories. We find Rahab, whose, whose profession is a harlot. We find Judah and Tamar, who were shame-filled and manipulated a situation, and God used them in order to bring about the promised one. God can use them. God can use Jerry. If God can use Jerry, God can use you as well. And how much more, as we cooperate, seeking to be obedient to him and cooperators of his Holy Spirit, does he want to use us? He desires to do that. All that to say, God can use you also. And you might be here this morning because it's Christmas, and that's great. We're glad you're here and worshiping and learning a little bit about Jesus. I want you to know that there is room at the cross for every single person in this place, from the children that we'll spoke to to the adults that we'll spoke to also. There is room at the cross for you. God's mercy is immense. His grace and his kindness is immense. But there is a day of judgment Don't fool yourself into thinking that love means no judgment. Emmanuel, God with us. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And just like Will asked this morning, have you received the present? Not do you see the present, not can you describe the present, not is the present under the tree in your home, have you received the present? To as many as received him, Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And it's, and it's I'm believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to quit trusting what I think is right, and I'm going to go with God's word. And Jesus, I'm all in. I am all in. Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you, and I pray, Lord, that every single person in this place would be asking themselves a question right now. Am I all in? Have I received the Lord Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, the one who takes away the sin of the world? Father, we thank you that in a problem that is bigger than us, something like Jeconiah being cursed, that you're able to do the impossible. You're able, uh, another benefit from the virgin birth, you're able to impregnate a virgin and have her husband be of the exact right lineage so that Jesus would have throne rights as well. Thank you that you're good for your word. Give us a mind and a heart that desires to understand your word and the willingness to roll up our sleeves and work it out and understand it as well. Father, for anyone who might be here this morning that needs to call upon the name of the Lord, to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray and ask that your spirit would work. And we thank you that what you have desired will be accomplished. We pray that in Christ's name.